Hello and welcome to the Science of Footy podcast. You're here with your hosts, Liam and Bill. Hey, Bill. Hey, Liam. How you doing? Yeah, not so great. Both of our teams are sort of tanking at the moment. Yeah, um, I expected my team to be shit. I don't know about you. Yeah, I expected us to be good, so it's just a double whammy for me. Yeah, so I was thinking about this, um, which teams, you know, we did the rankings, like which teams maybe we oversold, perhaps the Saints, we were both sort of a bit high on them. Yeah, it'll be interesting to look back at our overs and unders. I know we both went over on the Saints and it looks like maybe the bookies did have that one right at the start and I'm sure there's some other teams we went under on as well. Yeah, I think we undersold at the moment the Eagles and probably North Melbourne are doing all right. Yeah, North doing all right. I reckon Hawthorne's a big one for me where they've looked like they could easily jump up for pretty hefty overs when I think we were both on the fence for where they sat. All right, enough about how we suck. What happened in the weekend? Uh, Supercoach news. I thought I was going to drop a bit in the rankings. Um, ended up dropping only eight spots to 780, and I take it that you had a bit of a jump in yours. Yeah, so I didn't score too well. I'm 21.97, but apparently that was in the top 7% of scores for the round, so a very low-scoring round, and that jumped me up uh, 6,846 places, and I'm now ranked about 10,000th, which is... Still not brilliant, but you know I'm, I'm moving up. Yeah, top five percent or so there, so yep. you can't complain with that. And um, the good thing for both of us is we both started down the no danger field path, and he's put out another flat 100 score, so he's still on the drop. And hopefully we can pick him up sometime soon for the for the cheap price. Yeah, I'm eyeing off how much cash I have and, and how I could possibly get to him, and I'm not sure how I'm going to do it, but that's the plan. Yeah, we'll get there sooner or later. It's going to be harder. I think the people who win it are the people who will be able to turn early rookies into those premiums like Dangerfield who fell. Like If you can manage to hold off on a Kelly from Geelong and turn him straight into a Danger, that's a pretty good upgrade there. All right, we'll take a look at the weekend now. The I don't have the games in front of me, actually. Take a look at the weekend now. and the first game, a huge upset. Um, I didn't see it coming. The the Buckley curse is dead. The Pies have walloped the, the Crows by about 50 points. Yeah, absolutely dead. I thought We both thought that one was looking good. But <laughs> not only did they win, but everyone was like, oh, Buckley's coaching. He's put all these players in the good areas. He's, he's taught Mason Cox how to put a contest to the ground properly. And Yeah, um, very impressed by Mason Cox. Those little taps over the head, like get the players running onto it. I don't, that's a... Maybe a Bucks genius move there. Maybe, maybe he's just been like, dude, you can't mark the ball. Stop trying. Just get get it down to us. That's all we need you to do. And hey, it worked. And they had plenty of good players. Probably the most impressive was uh, Stephenson, Stevenson, whichever way we say it. New, new draftee for the club. Kicked five goals and it was the first taste we really got of his electric sort of play. Yeah, brilliant game by him. Um, fourth game of football and kicking five goals. Obviously incredibly impressive. Um Word is he's a Lions supporter, so no doubt requesting a trade to the Lions pretty soon, I think. <laughs> yes, maybe. You can always always hope, and I'm sure Collingwood will be trying to lock him down to a long-term deal. We know that he had those sort of heart issues at his draft combine, and everyone wondered how he'd go, but he's stepped in seamlessly. I think he started round one and hasn't missed a beat, so he really looks like a gem. So uh, I didn't actually catch any of the commentary on this game. I, I went to my friend's house to watch it, and he doesn't have a TV signal. So we watched it, uh, an illegal stream, and that was in Russian. Oh, so. <laughs> yeah. I've seen some of the Russian ones. It's actually quite entertaining. It's, it's funny to see someone in a different language get up and about, and then all you hear is the players' names. It's Yeah, they were getting into it, and they kept saying Mason Cox. Um, and uh, 
we cheering him on, but didn't didn't quite pick up the rush. I thought maybe by the end of the game I would be like you know at least somewhat fluent, but it didn't happen. <laughs> only know football terms, only know like yeah. how to say tackle in Russian and goal in Russian. Didn't figure a lot out. <laughs> One of the major talking points from the commentary that I did hear in the game was it was about Rory Sloan and how he really isn't fully fit. He's still carrying that foot injury and has for a couple of weeks, but just really interesting to see his stats and. Rory Sloan had zero tackles for the game. That just doesn't happen. Um, it's only happened once previously in his career, and that's back in round 12, 2011, if you'd believe it. So Rory Sloan just doesn't go without a tackle, and it's just, yeah, it must have been something really wrong with him on the weekend because he wasn't playing to his usual best. I mean, he averaged 7.8 tackles last year, 947 for his career, and he can't even land one in, in a game where the opposition had the ball the whole time. Yeah, disappointing for Rory. Hopefully he can bounce back from that. Um, on the flip side, player I was most impressed by, maybe apart from Stevenson, but maybe even including him, was Brody Grundy. Um, everywhere, as you probably know, 33 touches, 40 hitouts, and kicked a goal. Yeah, he's a, he's a second midfielder at this stage, isn't he? Everyone wondered how he would go sort of lifting on his output from last year and whether Mason Cox in the team would sort of sort of quell his influence, but he's been outstanding and um, sort of the player that everyone's sort of scrambling to get into their supercoach team at the moment. Um, heard some interesting stats during the week about how last year Grundy alongside Ryder and Steph Martin were the only Ruckmans to have most of their supercoach score build not off taps, so getting that ball around the ground and he's able been able to build even um, even higher onto that this year and really work on the ground. He took those, what, few few bounces down the wing and kicked that huge goal. He's, he's just a huge midfielder. Yeah, very impressive at covering the ground. And as you mentioned, that running goal, um, incredibly impressive by Brody Grundy. And he's only 24 years old, so I imagine we can expect quite a bit more improvement from him to come. Yeah, definitely. And somebody else, bit of a smaller midfielder there. Side bottom is just in crazy form. 43 touches out of the middle. He's, he's actually lining up in those center bounces and they're trusting him to play a lot of midfield minutes. So it's a different lineup there. We see Penderbury back to almost full-time mid now. And it's just a bit of a different lineup we're seeing in the center for Collingwood. Good news for Pies fans. A lot of players still to come into that lineup as well. And uh, it'll be interesting to see who gets up for Anzac Day. I did hear during the week we saw Taylor Adams and was it Elliot or some, one of the other players did a hamstring at training and they're, they're concerned that the ground is a bit hard down there at their training base and it's been contributing to their horror injuries that they've had over the last few years, I think. I hadn't heard this. Yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just something that I read briefly during the week. It'd be interesting to see if Collingwood looks at moving their training base or if anything comes to this because it's just been a little bit of commentary during the week, but maybe something we need to just keep a close eye on. So I wouldn't have expected it at the start of last week, but I am actually kind of excited for Anzac Day now because not only did the Pies get up, but Essendon managed to knock off the undefeated Port Adelaide. Yeah, one that uh, I got in the tips, but I wasn't really confident with at the time. Um yeah, it was just an incredible game, the Essendon-Port matchup, because I came into it, saw Port Adelaide's midfield just bullying the Essendon midfielders, which we've called soft on the podcast before and really haven't been putting in. But from the from the get-go, Essendon's midfield just got on top and they wanted the ball more, and it, it was just a, a crazy display from um, what is a bit of a weaker midfield there. A good debut from another player whose name is probably a bit hard to mention, Matt Guelfi, I think. Are we going for Guelfi? Uh, yeah, I like Guelfi. <laughs> But yeah, mature age recruit. He had a really good first outing. Uh, winners all over the board for us. And then Hurley down back, 29 disposals and 15 marks. Um, Heppel, Merritt, Goddard through the middle, all getting close to 30 touches each. And as you said, just dominating that port midfield. 
And who would have thought the coaching move of moving Jakey Stringer back to the forward line? He's a midfielder who couldn't run and couldn't get the ball and they put him back where he used to play and he kicks, what, four or five goals, I think it was, and was really just a live wire, really set them up from the forward line. Yeah, four goals, one for Jake String on the weekend and a very impressive snap from the boundary, which is probably going to get the goal of the week. I'm not sure. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, as you mentioned from the middle, we've got players like Heppley. He got 31, but he was going at 54%. I know that he he barely made a kick at the first half of the game. We had Zach Merrick at 29 at 62%. So they were getting their hands on the ball, but they weren't even using it well. And Paul wasn't able to mop up those you know poor possessions and rebound at all. They just seemed to, once they lost that first contest, Paul wasn't really in it. So a few disappointing signs for Port Adelaide, obviously sitting at 3-1, and one, so not doing too badly. But uh, Tom Rockliffe, once again, sub-10 possessions. I think he's had eight possessions, four tackles and kicked a goal. And it's... It's really mystifying what's happened to Rocky over the over the preseason, I guess. I know. If, if at the start of the year, before I drafted him into my Supercoach draft team, if someone was to come along and tell me in the first four games, Rockcliffe would not be injured, be playing the whole game, and he would be averaging 12 touches and 44 Supercoach points, I'd say that's just not possible. Yeah, I'm really interested as, as to what's happened here, like whether he's maybe a, a different training program um, in terms of fitness or, or trying to get into peak at the right time of the year or something along those lines or, or whether he's just simply out of form. Yeah, or still playing injured. I think that's the other thing where he was sort of touch and go for round one and has come in but does, just doesn't seem fully fit. You see him playing that forward role and... Um, yeah, just not really getting around the ball too much. But we did see the second half of last year. He didn't really fire too much either. Yeah, maybe the Lions sort of had inside information on, on how his body was and were happy to let him go as a result. Yeah, definitely possible with the way he's come out this year. And it'd be interesting to see whether Port during the season sort of ramp up his time in the middle and hopefully towards the end of the year he's playing at that elite level or whether he stays. But what we see at the moment is Rocky's playing that forward role and we've seen Robbie Gray move back to the middle and it's it's just been watching classic Gray. It's it's absolutely just turning back the clock there. We saw that he had 39 touches and 10 clearances playing sole midfielder, not really up forward, and it's just it's a, it's a beauty to see when he's sort of sharking those uh, taps and streaming out of the centre. Great to see Robbie Gray in full flight once again, and no doubt Port will be expecting big things from him in the season to come. So back on Anzac Day, we're both pretty excited about it. Do you see this being a really hard-fought sort of close battle? I can't really see this one being a blowout either way at the moment. Yeah, obviously both sides now are in great form, even if it's you know maybe only one week of form. But um, as we mentioned, the Pies absolutely decimating the Crows on that Friday night and then Essendon knocking off the undefeated port. So yeah, I'm looking at, a I think, a tight contest. I can't really see it being a blowout, but sort of expected this to be a bit of a cripple fight and now it's you know turned into a very exciting game. Yeah, I think probably the main area I'm going to watch is that Grundy's in great form. They've got, obviously, the much stronger midfield there at Collingwood, whether that's able to get them over the line or in a game that's sort of tight and hard to score, whether a team like Essendon, which probably has more firepower with your Danahers and Stringers up forward, whether that's sort of what gets the game won. So move on now, and not to a specific game. I'm going to move on to a question, Liam. Who do you think had the worst loss of the round? There's a few candidates here. Um, my Lions going down by 93 points and only kicking two goals. Uh, Carlton going down by 86 points to North Melbourne, um, who, as we all know, didn't really finish too high up on the ladder last year. Or uh, Gold Coast going down by 80 points to West Coast. And perhaps even Melbourne losing by about 70 points to Hawthorne. All pretty disappointing losses. Uh, yeah, all disappointing 
First of all, when you started reading those, I would have leaned towards Brisbane, just that score loss and the, the goals. But I really think that in terms of where it places the teams, I think that the loss of Carlton to North Melbourne is the most damaging, where they would have hoped to win that game going into the season, at least have it close and be blown out the way they did. Not be able to, uh, you know, my tip of them not scoring 100 points isn't even in question at the moment when they're kicking 30 points in a game against a team that's, you know, probably their equal favorite to go bottom two or wooden spoon so i think in terms of um hurting the supporter base that one probably hurt a lot more than say a brisbane losing to the reigning premiers yeah i think you're right um obviously not ideal you know for, for my lines to go i think it was no goal until the third quarter um although i will note robbed of a goal in the very first quarter charlie cameron <laughs> clearly a goal watch the replay um but yeah just that loss of carlton so losing to 86 points to one of the teams where i'm i'm pretty sure carlton finished 17th last year and north finished 16th um yeah, they were tussling out in those last few games for who would end up where, along with Brisbane. All could have finished on the bottom of the ladder. Yeah, so they've finished one spot above them and then come out this year and won by 86 points. And I guess it begs the question, you know, are Carlton that bad or have we sort of undersold North a bit? I mean, they did knock off your Saints a few weeks ago and are now an 86-point win. Uh, a little bit of that, but I think really Carlton is that bad. I think we mentioned at the start of the year that without Doherty and Gibbs, this team's going to struggle a bit. And what we see this year is that teams are scoring against Carlton way too easily. They've tried to do this change away from being a solid defensive team to do more offense, but their offense hasn't risen and their defense has fallen apart. So in the, in the first few rounds, we obviously saw big Benny Brown kick five snags on the weekend. The week before that, we saw Josh Thomas kick five goals for Collingwood, who's not even a big name. Week before that, Tom Lynch, eight goals. And in round one, we saw both Rewald and Townsend kick four each. They're just, they're leaking goals, especially from Liam Jones, who's becoming a liability down there. Not being allowed to intercept by other teams, just being made, made to play on a man. And he just can't really do it up to standard yet. Yeah, I watched Liam Jones struggle um, with Ben Brown on the weekend. and I was thinking that, yeah, Jones is struggling a bit with that man on man, although it is probably pretty tough uh, assignment to go to big Ben Brown at the moment because he's in very fine form. Definitely. And we also see that what are, what other options do they have? We've got Weedering at the moment, who's just, just a shadow of the player that we saw coming out of juniors where he's down on confidence and down on form. You've got, um, obviously Marchbank is out for a month injured. So there's not many options they have to throw around there. Obviously the, the Mark Murphy laid out on the weekend hurt them a lot. Like right before the bounce, did you see that all unfolding? Yeah. I, I didn't actually realize until they, they mentioned it on the telecast. I wasn't watching the pregame and then, um, yeah, they've, they've mentioned that he's pulled out just before with a, a foot injury, I think it was. Yeah, so I, I don't think it's been confirmed, but the, the word is plantar fascia. Um, so underside of the foot in the arch is, uh, was playing up. I think that was an injury he was probably carrying into the match. And during the warm, he's hurt it and really just couldn't continue. He couldn't really bear much weight on that foot when he was trying to get up before the bounce. So yeah, just a, the latest out that it could have been right before he went out to toss the coin. So maybe that threw them a little bit into shambles. And I guess it was down in Tassie. And we know how much the North likes to play down at that ground. And they sort of play it really well and understand the conditions. So look, there are reasons. But when you look at what happened and just a just a deficit like that to a team that they, they really should have beaten going into the game, it's, um, it's really panic stations for the Blues. A lot of upsides for North coming from the game. Quite a few young guns. Uh, I know, Lee, you took a bit of a dig at their young young players uh, off off record, but uh, <laughs> a few of them standing up. So Hartung, 24 touches and a goal. Jed Anderson looked quite good, 23 touches and a goal. Sean Atley, 22 touches, three goals. Uh, Trent Dumont, 23 touches. McDonald, 21. And the list goes on. So a few of the young North players standing up. 
Yeah, it's probably the first game I've seen Jed Anson play to a high level where that's probably when they got it, like when they got him from Hawthorne, they thought they'd be getting that every week in and out from him, but, uh, hasn't, hasn't come to fruition. So maybe this is a kickstart for him. Um, another one's is, uh, is it Jacobs who's doing the tagging role at the moment? He's just taking scalps left, right and center. Um, really damaging the opponent's midfield output. So they've definitely got a few, a few players down there that are showing promise, but, for players like Anderson, where it's the first taste, we're going to want to see maybe him to back it up next week and build on that before we can lock him into maybe being a future player for them. Um, one of the downsides, I guess, for North is Todd Goldstein. Um, he broke even, I guess, with Matty Cruiser, maybe even beat him, but both him and Cruiser really didn't look at their best or even, to be honest, fully fit. Um, I was paying close attention because Goldstein's my rock from from my draft team and I was pretty disappointed with what I saw you know he scored okay and, and he, he played okay stats wise but he just doesn't look fully fit or or fully informed one of the other yeah um during the week we heard that um Scott went over to Goldie and said look you got towed up by Gorn last week we need you to come out and put out a good performance if you want to keep your spot in this team and he's come out and he's been subpar against a cruiser that really didn't look fully fit either he's he's still coming back from that injury and I don't think he's fully on top of it and yeah, really didn't have the impact that he would have liked. It'll be interesting to see if Braden Proust is going to get a call up soon. We'll shift over to the other game we were sort of touching on, uh, Richmond against the Lions. And, you know, sort of, I guess what you'd expect for the reigning premiers versus the Spooners, 93 point win. Um, Martin going absolutely insane, kicking six goals to go with his 17 touches. Um, winners all over the park, really, for the Tigers. Um, one of the few Lions players, I could say, who really hold, held his head up high on the day is Cam Rayner. 22 touches, one goal. And, just look really good, especially in aerial contests. Yeah, to have a game where your team only kicks, what was it, two goals and you're a first-year player and you're slotting one of those and getting 22 touches in a team that gets decimated, that's definitely a, a positive for Brisbane. But, yeah, really it was a horrid day. So 17's Brisbane's lower score and equals um, the Bears' lower score as well. So only Fitzroy has scored lower than that in their history and it's the lowest score we've seen in the league since 2009 so it's really really not the stats you want to come out of your game i would imagine the 2009 score might also be us i'm <laughs> not quite sure um, one of the drop-offs charlie cameron um we mentioned he's managed to kick three goals each and every week um unfortunately only seven touches and one behind for him so pretty disappointing yeah, but maybe focus more on the Richmond side of things where they're sort of putting together really team performances at the moment. So they've come out on their home deck and sort of taken care of business. And um, yeah, I guess Brisbane just saw that game going and it sort of died off pretty early, um, which isn't what you want to see. But when you've got the reigning premiers and you know their key midfielders sort of just slotting up forward and just kicking goal after goal, it's, it gets demoralizing after a while. Yeah, as we said, winners all over the board for Tigers. A really even contribution from most of their players and obviously mostly premiership players there. Um, quite a few bobbing up for goals and, and spreading the touches pretty evenly too. So very good performance from the Tigers and really showcasing their depth. Really lines up a pretty interesting match next week, the Q clash between Brisbane and Gold Coast because Gold Coast also got smashed um, on the weekend as we touched on before. So both teams going down in big losses and we'll both be wanting to put together uh, a win next week. Yeah, absolutely. The Q clash, a uh, bit of a genuine rivalry there actually, I think. Uh, obviously, Steph Martin getting knocked out by Stephen May, I think it was last year or the year before. Um, obviously added a bit of heat to that and those two teams have always been relatively close to each other on the ladder. So both teams going into these sort of games with the idea that they can win and, and it's produced quite a few uh, entertaining contests as a result. 
Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see who lines up for the teams come the weekend, whether Brisbane maybe swings the axe a bit after that performance and loses a few players and brings some new blood in. I know for Gold Coast, they've got um, Michael Barlow, who came off a 30-plus touch performance in the NIFA last week and then came out on the weekend and got 46 touches. So if anyone's dropping out of that Gold Coast team, they've got a really quality player to come in and play in this um, Q clash. So I'll be interested to see if he lines up. Um, but staying on the Suns and uh, their performance against West Coast on the weekend, uh, yeah, they just really, really didn't get close. I don't know if the you know week in the West that they had to stay since they played Freeman on the week before just tired out a young team or really what happened there. Yeah, disappointing from the Gold Coast. Um, similar to what we were saying about Brisbane, not too many winners that you can pick out of their side. Um, one of them, probably David Swallow, had another good game, 29 touches, 7 marks, 3 tackles and a goal. Um, performed to a high level again and as we've sort of talked about taking over that sort of Gary Ablett role I guess in the middle um, but again similar story to Richmond West Coast just with winners all over the park so Yeo 33 touches Mastin 30 and 2 goals Gaff 32 touches Darling bombing up with 3 goals Cripps 4 Kennedy 5 you know the list goes on yeah, Yeo bounced back really well from that perform- uh, poor performance the week before that we mentioned, killing my Supercoach team. And uh, the week that I had an easy win, he comes out and pops out a huge score. So um, he's sort of yo-yoing as his uh, Yeo nickname is holding. But yeah, 33 touches, 11 marks. Um, he-, he was outstanding. And um, I think another one you mentioned there, Darling, sort of going a bit under the radar this year. He's always been a bit of a fool's gold player, a bit of a tease on his form. But I think this year he's been quite strong so far. So I'll be watching him closely to see if he can hold that throughout the year. Yeah, 12 goals so far in 2018 for Jack Darling. I'm not exactly sure where that place him in the column, but I imagine roughly top five. Yeah, just performing really well, and that comes on the back of uh, JJK being out of that team. And he came back first game of the year, and he slots uh, five goals three. So he's just an absolutely insane player, probably the best uh, forward we've seen apart from Franklin in recent times um, interesting looking back on his stats so he averages uh, 3.3 goals a game over the last six years 2.5 goals a game for his career uh, and everyone's starting to always with JJK is bring up that trade with with Carlton with uh, with Chris Judd where they got um, the trade was pretty much Chris Judd and Dem- Dennis Armfield for Josh Kennedy, uh, Chris Maston, and a, a player that no one's ever heard of. So. Tony Knott or something? Yeah, yeah he's not, gone now. Not, yeah, that's who it was. Um, so, yeah, it's very interesting looking at that that trade now and the player that Kennedy's become. Yeah, I imagine that you could probably make a pretty good list of Carlton trade-outs. Um, yeah. <laughs> if we just maybe spitball now, we've got Kennedy, Betts, uh, Sam Jacobs. Garlett. Garlett, um, Mitch Robinson. Tom Bell not doing too well, but you can chuck him in the team there. Well, these are like forward players as well. That's a whole forward line and Carlton can't kick a goal. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's quite amusing, to be honest. Um, but they, they line up against each other this week, actually. So interesting to see how Josh Kennedy will go. Second game back, uh, Blues team that's leaking goals. Uh, he could kick 10. Yeah, he definitely could. Uh, back on the West Coast and Suns game, we saw that um, down back, the dominance of both McGovern and Hearn, who took 13 and 14 marks each, they just um, were monopolizing the ball every time I went into defense. They'd, they'd take it away and then they'd hold it up, swinging around the sides until they could push forward. Um, really, the only downside I see from West Coast is that they had an ankle injury to Venables. So to go with Liam Ryan and Venables maybe as well being out for a few weeks, um, it, it hurt that small forward line they've been trying to build. Yeah, but some impressive depth coming out of West Coast, something I didn't really foresee. Um, 
in the preseason. Obviously, we said earlier we've probably undersold them a bit in terms of guessing how many wins they would get. And uh, yeah, they look they look good. They look impressive playing out of the New Optus Stadium, and I think they can cover that loss pretty easily. Yeah, players like Waterman coming into this team and really just outperforming what everyone really assumed that they could. Obviously, Liam Ryan was performing way better than any rookie should be playing um, coming into that team. So, yeah, they've had a lot of players who have stepped up and really filled the void of some of the players that left last year. We'll move on and and complete the last sort of thrashing we spoke about for the weekend, and this is Hawthorne um, getting up over Melbourne, 115-48 to in the end after Melbourne led five goals to three at quarter time. Yeah, just an absolute um, demolition of the Ds. They would have gone into that game, and especially after the first few goals they put on the board, and and thought they could have got that um, got, get that win over the line. But after quarter time, it was sixteen goals to one, if you'd believe it. That's that's almost unheard of, especially for a team that people are thinking top top eight or top four out of the Demons. Yeah, quarter time, I was sitting there watching the game, thinking, hey, the, you know, we added in some new data in the model, and it's it's changed the tip from Hawthorne to Demons, and. I think I actually said I liked that tip, and, and I did at the time. I um, thought the Demons looked good in the first couple of rounds, and then they've yeah sort of come out and had 16 goals kicked against them in three quarters. Yeah, crazy. Um, but there has to be a lot of kudos going to Hawthorne from this game. They really performed really strongly. Um, we saw that um, Jones went to Tom Mitchell and really quelled his influence well. He had 24 touches and 14, uh, 14 clearances, which is a down game for Tom Mitchell. Um, but what we really saw out of this game was Jaeger O'Meara have 26 touches and two goals, pretty much standing up to the competition and says, if you're going to put all your attention into Tom Mitchell, I'm going to rip you apart and I'll, I'll be a damaging player. So you're going to have to focus on a full midfield effort. Yeah, great uh, spread in the midfield by the Hawks and also a great spread up forward. So Luke Bruce, four goals, Roughhead, three, Tim O'Brien, three, Isaac Smith, two, O'Meara, two, Gunston, two. And then a whole lot of players with one, like just a lot of options. Yeah, a lot of options, which sort of got a bit of a hit from this game as well. We saw Cyril Rioli hurt his knee, same one that he hurt last year. I think this time it might be a PCL when it was an MCL last year. So he's looking for a bit of a stint on the sidelines as well as um, Puapolo, who's a really important player for them, doing the hammy. And um, it looks like it'll be one that'll keep him out for a number of weeks. From a Melbourne perspective, uh, Max Gorn once again gets the win in the ruck. He's had 66 hitouts, um, although unfortunately not really able to influence the game. Yeah, so he really wants that hitout record we talked about last week. He was going at you know 58 or whatever it was, and he's gone and upped it. So I reckon he's looking really good to win that um, league record come the end of the year. So you're right, his influence probably wasn't as big as what those numbers say, especially considering that midfield um, impact that we mentioned from the Hawks players. Um, another Melbourne player that I'll touch on is Jesse Hogan, who's really living higher up the ground nowadays. He had, I think it was 12 or 13 touches in that first quarter, really roaming high up above the ground. So I don't know, is it something that you think that that's where he's going to be for the rest of his career, being that high forward player, or will he eventually go back to being a deep full forward? I think it could depend on uh, Sam Weedman coming in. There's a few calls for him to be brought into the senior team, and that might sort of change their forward setup there. But as you mentioned, Hogan looked incredibly impressive in that first quarter, um, just everywhere, picking up touches and, and taking marks across that half-forward flank and in the middle. But quelled pretty well after quarter time, I thought, and that was probably one of the turning points. Um, you know, Clarko making the changes that needed to be made. Um, just to touch back on Max Gorn, we mentioned he obviously won a lot of hitouts. So Melbourne won the hitouts 72-34, to 34, but... Influence the probably not there when you look at the clearances 56 to 39 in Hawthorne's favor. So pretty interesting that Melbourne with their much vaunted midfield, obviously getting that silver service from Gorn, still weren't able to 
really go head to head with the Hawks midfield and come out on top. Yeah, we know that um that they're they're a classy outfit when they're on top Hawthorne and um their ability to not only get those clearances but they were they were putting on the pressure in the midfield as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 113 tackles for Hawthorne to 74 from Melbourne, and that's you know on one hand very impressive by Hawthorne to put up 113, but really just just not up to scratch. Melbourne getting out tackled by 40 or 50 is not AFL standard. In addition to that, 20 tackles inside 50 to Hawthorne to 8 for Melbourne. So really putting that pressure on when they were inside the forward 50, obviously managing to create quite a few goals from that. Yeah, that's really where they made their mark when they were winning flags is that they had that forward pressure that really could worry opponents. And not only that they they had it as a team, but the amount of individuals that were considered really high-class pressure players were probably above um, and before their time. Keep moving on and... uh... I think the theme here is um, it's 2018 and I'm a bit annoyed that the Hawks are still tracking along pretty well. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'm also pretty annoyed that Geelong are tracking along pretty well. So they've had a 50-point win against your boys, Lee. Yeah, really uh, just another huge disappointing loss for the Saints. We've had three weeks in a row of around 50-point deficits um, all in games where up until halftime we were sort of hanging around even though the skills were poor and then second half sort of just, just leaked out and um, yeah, just deja vu for the Saints. I think I texted you at one point because I, I wasn't watching this game. I was sort of just keeping track on the app, having a look at the scores every now and then. I think I texted you who's on Menzel because it's just I've seen it update. Goal, Dan Menzel. Goal, Dan Menzel. Goal, Dan Menzel. Yep. And the answer was Sam Gilbert, who was back in the team for reasons <laughs> that St Kilda supporters will never understand. Um, he came into that team with some reasonable BFL form, and I thought, yeah, you know, we're, we're sort of getting towed up a bit, especially in defence. Maybe another strong head down there will, um, you know, old head will sort of lay things down a little bit and be a bit solid, but he was giving away free kicks that didn't need to be given away, you know. He had a two-on-one and he was giving a little push free kick in front of goal. And yeah, Menzel was Menzel was on fire to his credit. Um, kicked five goals and is now third in the Coleman. So 14 off four games. I'm not really sure how no one gave him that two-year contract he was offered uh, oh, after in the off-season. Yeah, very surprising. I um, guess they wanted to take the risk on those knees. But as we see, it would probably would have paid off big. One player who was incredibly impressive for Geelong was Brandon Parfit. Um once again, I think I've turned down a trade for him in our draft league. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's picked up 28 touches, seven tackles, six marks, kicked three goals, um, scored about 168 super coach points or something like that, and almost stole the win from me. Uh, still managed to get over the line, but I was ruining that last game watching Parfit rack up those touches. <laughs> he was absolutely everywhere. It was one of those things where he couldn't get away from the ball and they could afford to move their stars like Dangerfield onto the bench and sort of out of the play because you had players like your Manigolas as well as Parfitts, these lesser lights coming up and really taking over the game. Um, so Parfitts averaging 21 touches and uh, 1.5 goals a game this year. So <clears throat> really breaking out for a player who hasn't even played 20 games yet. Continuing the trend of uh, Geelong young guns just stepping into the team, performing straight away. Jordan Cunico's played his second game on the weekend and picked up a lazy 21 touches and two goals. Yeah, really impressive from him. They had a lot of those young guns who really took the advantage of a big win at home to step up and play really well. Um, on the Saints side of things, I think Luke Dunstan's been our best player for two weeks in a row now with 26 touches and two goals was really impressive. And Caulfield's just, he just takes care of business with 17 touches and 
uh, at, at 17 touches at 82% efficiency. So he's just one of the classiest players. And for a second gamer, that's just crazy. Um, Marshall again played a pretty good game up until half time before he got concussed and couldn't take any further part in the game. So Liam, I took your advice in the preseason and, uh, through Jack Billings in my super coach forward lineup. I was told that he could potentially be the top scoring forward. I'm currently sitting, I think, what was it? 42nd or 43rd had, Another pretty average game in the weekend, going at 56% disposal efficiency. Yeah, I think he missed his first, what, five or six kicks, to, so he's running a 0% efficiency by foot at halftime or something. He's playing a lot of forward and not a lot through the middle, and when your team's getting beaten by the scores that we're getting beaten by, it's, it's hard to score. Um, I don't really know what's going on there and whether it will lift. I think he's too good of a player to sort of keep this inconsistent form uh, going throughout much more of his career so i'm hoping that he gets thrown a little higher up the ground next week and really gets more involved in the play is this a hold proposition for me should i be looking to trade him out or i'm going to be holding him because i still maintain that you know those three weeks of bad scores are past the price has already dropped i think i'm past the point um of no return with billings where i, I still think that he can score high for the rest of the year so i'm going to keep him but anyone who's, who's looking at trading him out um that they've obviously lost hope that um, the Saints can turn any form around and the ball just won't be up his end to score enough this year. So as I mentioned uh, before, I didn't happen to be watching this game, but I have seen the footage of uh, Dylan Robin sort of just collapsing on field. Lee, what happened there? Yeah, one of the scariest things to watch is when a player is just standing there. You know, these are elite athletes. They're, they're in peak physical condition and he just collapses to the floor um, like he got knocked out with no one touching him. So he was sent off to the Epworth for scans on his heart to look for an irregular heartbeat, which I think is the main area of concern at the moment, um, which is really... It's horrible to see, but we, we saw this a couple of weeks ago with Cale Kirby in the VFL as well, a very similar thing where he just collapsed with no one around him, was rushed off to hospital with a suspected, you know, um, irregular heartbeat, which is which is crazy. I know that um, quotes came out of Dr. Potter, who's the head of the AFL Doctors Association this week, saying that they're running ECG scans on um, Robertson's heart because they're, they're uh, quote, looking for any abnormality in the heart muscle, like an arrhythmia. Um, not all arrhythmias will will show up on the ECGs because they can just be spontaneous. So this might even be something that we never really get a full answer from. It could have just been a, a freak thing that happened at the point in time. <clears throat> all right, some interesting news there. And uh, obviously, best wishes to Robertson. Uh, we'll move on to one of the closer games that happened on the weekend and shift towards the Sydney Bulldogs game, which I uh, happen to catch a bit of and quite an enjoyable one. Yeah, probably maybe even game of the season so far. This was an absolute cracker and I did mention it last week that I thought from the pressure of the dogs last week that they were back and this could be a close one, um, but I still expected the class of Sydney to get over the line and that's sort of how the game turned out. Yeah, very high level contest and uh, the usual sort of stars for both sides stepping up. So Buddy Franklin had another three goals and four behinds, 10 marks. Um, Parker stepping up, 21 touches and three goals and our boy Jack McRae uh, picked up another 34 touches and I'm sure a huge super coach score once again. Yeah, Jack McRae has just um, never gone below 30 this year. So four games, all 30-plus disposals. He's absolutely looking elite to be... He should go towards an All-Australian selection, you know, must-have in Supercoach team at the moment. He's just performing through the roof and it's really just uh, uh, incredible to watch. Toby McLean, another one for the Dogs, another sort of good news story, moved into the middle... Uh, as we probably mentioned before, and 
he's doing pretty well. He's picked up a lot of contested possessions, uh, getting involved in a lot of scores, and as per usual, picking up a lot of free kicks. So also handy for the super coach there. <laughs> yeah, it's good to get those ones. Um, another young gun for the dogs, Timmy English, just really performing week in, week out. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they keep him as the regular Ruckman throughout the year. I think it was Terry Wallace or some, one of the commentators throughout the week came out and said that he's going to be the next number one Ruckman in the competition and that he is really the, the standout younger Ruckman um, in the league. Yeah, really impressive game by English to back up. As we said, a really impressive start to the season. And uh, he almost won the game from there at the end. He was tra- trying to chase down Oliver Florent, which is probably not a fair matchup really. But uh, Tim English put in a good chase and almost got him. But Oliver Florent able to steady and put through that winning goal for Sydney. Yeah, that's probably been the most exciting play of the year so far. We had young Oli Florent get the ball, get a mark on the wing, and I'm sure his coach will be telling him next time when there's 30 seconds on the clock and you take a mark, you go back and you eat up all of the all of the time and guarantee the win. But it was exciting to watch him run off into 50 and, and slot that goal. He's really a, a great promising young player and um, it really, really excited the fans in that moment. Yeah, a really great finish to the game and uh, what could prove to be an important one come... Finals positions, uh, you know, getting the win there for Sydney is quite important for them, I think. We'll move on to the last game of the round now, which was Fremantle going over to Sydney to play GWS. This is another one where, unfortunately, I didn't really get to catch a lot of this game, but looking at the stat sheet, it just looks like a sort of usual day for GWS midfield stars picking up the slack. Yeah, definitely. We see... I'm just keeping a close eye on Coniglio. He's currently sitting at $34 to win the Brownlow. Got 27 touches and a goal. I know he's been in stellar form in the last few weeks, especially with Kelly not in this game. Um, potential for more votes for him there. We've got Dusty leading that Brownlow race with $4.25 odds and T. Mitchell at $4.50. So a little bit of an outsider. Coniglio has been fantastic for the first part of the year, I think. Speaking of future Brownlow medalists, uh, Tim Taranto's played another very impressive game for the Giants and uh, he's now played 18 games and so far this season averaging 22 disposals. Yeah, he's been really good and it's been interesting, as we mentioned, Parfit before and Taranto, you're seeing a couple of these players sort of jump out to having those second year breakout years, sort of. We saw um, Clayton Oliver do it and we're seeing a couple of players this year. The second year blues are something that people talk about a lot, but for these sort of players like Taranto, he seems to be just going from strength to strength. Uh, as good as the Giants midfield was, the Fremantle midfield was equally as impressive, uh, managing to keep them in the game. And they've had the usual big names put up some pretty impressive numbers. Uh, Mundy, 32 touches and a goal. Stephen Hill, 28 and a goal. Neil, 29 touches. 525 and a goal. And, and Sandland's putting up 40 hitouts. Yeah, the midfield working really well there for Freo. And as you said, the usual sp- suspects, we expect them to put out those good performances every week. Um, an older head that we saw come back for GWS was Ryan Griffin coming back in to the side, um, playing a bit up forward. And um, there was actually a funny, funny moment in the game. I don't know if you caught it where Griffin was lining up for goal and he's tried to put his kick just outside of the uh, right goal post. And a huge gust of wind came and blew it pretty much at 90 degree angles out on the full. Yeah, I did actually manage to catch that, um, as well as uh, one of the players trying to kick into the 50 and having the ball just stop dead in the <laughs> middle of the air. So some very strong wins out there for that game. Yeah, so with those sort of conditions, those games can sort of fluster either way, I guess. And uh, GWS will be very happy that they, they brought home a good win there. Looking ahead now to next week of football, and it's one of those very long rounds. So starting on the Friday night, uh, 20th of April, and continue all the way to Wednesday, 25th. So I don't know whether that's a, a good thing or not. 
Yeah, I don't know. It'll probably mean a, a later in the week podcast for us next week, I guess. But um, yeah, I do like more footy. But um, yeah, it's, it's sort of odd to have the, the round drag out like that. It's the same amount of footy, actually. <laughs> Just, yeah, yeah, but you, the, the games don't overlap, so I end up watching them all. Yeah. Um, but uh, aside from being a longer round of footy and Anzac Day and all that sort of stuff happening this week, we've also got a lot of close games and games that I can see going uh, either way. Yeah, I'm not sure whether I'm too happy about this um, because I'm doing terribly in tipping. It's still it's still just doing terribly <laughs> to me. So I don't know whether close games are good for me. Maybe I can snag a few upsets. We'll see. Yeah, so I think uh, I got, what, four or five tips more than you two weeks ago. And then last week, our only one different was Essendon Port, which I got up over you as well. So you're really after, after some comeback wins. So for your sake, hopefully we tip a few different this week and uh, maybe you can get some back. Yeah, I've, I've stopped counting, so you're counting for us, and uh, I'm just throwing some tips out there and, and seeing what happens now, because, yeah, not doing so well. Uh, we'll just go through the games now and give our tips, and uh, we've got the algorithm running as every week, and we'll we'll see what everyone has gone for. The first game is Swans uh, taking on the Crows over at the SCG. Uh, I think I'll go with the Swans in this one. The weakened uh, midfield for Adelaide Crows is still uh, undermanned. So the model actually disagrees with you. The model's going with the Crows. Um, one thing the model doesn't take into account is, is injured players, so ins and outs, um, which is probably something we should look at at some point, but it's a lot of work and we're pretty lazy. So at the moment, <laughs> the model is, is going for, I guess, a full-strength Crows lineup, and it's tipping the Crows. Um, I'm sort of probably, I think I'm more on your side here, Lee. I think the injuries to the Crows swing this one in favor of the Swans. Next game is GWS versus the Saints. I assume all three are going the Saints, and we can move along. All three for the Giants. I mean, you can go for the Saints if you want. I feel free. Ooh, I know we did beat them at Eddie Had one time, but um, no, I'm going to go the Giants as well. Third game up is Blues hosting Eagles. Um, the model's gone for the Eagles, and I think I will too. Yeah, coming down to Melbourne, we know that the Eagles are pretty renowned for losing those trips over to Melbourne, but to have uh, Josh Kennedy back in that team, and we already mentioned the Blues' inability to keep a good forward down, I think that they'll win pretty much off your score alone. Next game, maybe we could see some differentiation here. Uh, it's Power versus the Cats. Uh, could be a close game. The model's gone for the Power. I am also going for the Power. Liam? I am also going for the Power. This I, I think, uh, yeah, very disappointing, but I think that just the the home and away factor for some teams is too strong, and I think Port Adelaide is one of those that will win at home and not win away a lot. Uh, another game next up where home ground advantage could come into play. Uh, it's the Dockers versus the Dogs. The model's gone for the Dogs. I'm going for the Dockers. I love the Dogs in terms of the way they're playing at the moment. Pressure footy. And I think that that holds up no matter where you travel to. And I'm going to tip the Dogs. Interesting. All right. We finally got one different. Um, next up, Ruse versus the Hawks. The model and me are both going for the Hawks. Yeah, I'm going for the Hawks too. Even though North had a good win last week, I think that Hawthorne is uh, really looking strong at the moment. All right, after that, we've got the Q Clash. Uh, the model's gone with the Suns. Unsurprisingly, I've gone with the Lions um, because I go for Lions and also because I think we're going to win. We're just we're <laughs> going to win. So I'm going to side with the model here. We've got another right. different tip, and I'm going to go with the Suns in, a, in an upset according to the bookies. Foolish. Uh, after that, we've got the Demons taking on the Tigers. Uh, the model and I are on the Tigers. I am also on the Tigers, but I really think this is going to be a hard-fought game. Uh, within one goal either way, I'm going to put it. 
And lastly, we've got Anzac Day. Uh, the model has gone with the Dons, and I guess I've flipped on Buckley. I'm going with the Pies. Ooh, absolute flip on yeah. Buckley. Crazy. Um, I'm also starting with the Pies. I think this will be a midfield winner's day. All right, a few different tips there. I look forward to getting back, what is it, two tips or two or three tips there? Yeah, I think we had two different there, but both flipping on some of the models' tips, so it'll be interesting to see who comes out on top. So are you beating the model, Lee? Uh, I'm going to go with around the same. Uh, we really need to do the updated numbers before we get on the podcast. because yeah, we I, I, yeah, I, We'd have to listen back to the podcast. I never write them down. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll do that for next week. We'll do a full tally of everyone and where they're at. I know that I'm coming last. Yeah, we'll do a full tally and we'll go <laughs> in depth and really just hound everyone to make sure they know where they are in the, in yeah, the pegging. I think it might be uh, you, model, me. And like, it's, it's like to you and then there's like the model. And then there's like a, there's a bit of a drop off, but we'll see. Cool. So pretty much how I expected it to go yeah. from the get go. <laughs> Only some humans are better than machines. <laughs> and that's what we learned. That is your science about football. All right. Uh, as we mentioned, we've got a long weekend of football coming up, stretching from the Friday all the way to the Wednesday and then only the one day off jumping back into Friday night footy again. So hopefully we'll be able to reach you on that next Thursday night. And uh, if not, I'm sure you'll all live for one week without the Science of Footy podcast. (laughs) 